grace and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, by the presence of his Holy Spirit among us and within every single believer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What do you need this morning? Yeah, yeah, we've got over 100 people here. We all need Jesus, and then we have particular needs along with that. Uh, maybe you need energy. Uh, I need more energy this morning. Stamina, strength. Maybe you need deep knowing that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you need to know that you are loved with a passionate love by a holy God. Maybe you really need to know that in your heart of hearts. Maybe this morning you need hope to lift depression out of a really deep hole. Maybe this morning you need comfort in your grief. You might have a fresh one. Maybe you aren't even sure what you need, but you know you need something. It's not quite right. How about a time of marveling at the majestic power of a God who can meet and accomplish any and every need that we might present to him today? Marvel is a word we don't use a whole lot, right? It's in our text today. And I really believe that we've gathered this morning because we want to marvel at what God has done and want to marvel at what he's doing in our lives. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 24, beginning verse 5, middle of the conversation with the angel and the women who were at the tomb. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now this is a, a Simpsons moment, right? Don't. They remembered his words. Oh, we forgot about that rising part. Jesus told them at least three times he was going to rise. They remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 disciples and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, and say it with me, idle tale. Now the women remembered that Jesus had said these things, and they got on board, and they began to believe. Why, why did the disciples struggle so much? They thought it was an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Verse 12. But Peter, say that with me, but Peter, we're used to that, right? But Peter, he got to love that guy. He was oftentimes the first guy to step in it. He was often the first, time, first guy to get it right. And this occasion, the disciples were struggling to believe, to receive it. They thought initially an idle tale. It says, but Peter... He must be scratching his head. Peter's like, now, wait a minute. Let's think about all the amazing things Jesus did. Is this beyond Jesus' power? He, he, there's, he's scratching his head. He's like, I'm going to go check this out. It says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. People, I don't know what you need this morning. Maybe you don't know what you need this morning. But I want to tell you this morning, whatever your need is, get up and run to the tomb. Get up and run to Jesus. I can't fix your problem. I can't meet your need. I can, I can listen. I can love on you. I can pray for you. 
But all of that is going to be pointing you to, the, to Jesus, the one to run to for the actual answer, for the real life change, for the real help, for the real salvation, for the real forgiveness. So whatever you bring to me, and please do, but when you bring it to me, I'm basically one way, shape, or form or another, I'm going to bring it down to say, let's run to the tomb together. Because that's where the power is, and that's the one we need. Peter... He rose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking inside the tomb, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Why do we need to know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Christ is risen. He doesn't need the grave clothes anymore. So he rises up and he's like, yeah. He unwraps the, the, the cloths that had wrapped his dead body and he lays them where he had been laying in his death. So all those who would come and look in would say, Nobody stole his body. There's no shenanigans going on here. Jesus is alive. He didn't need the grave clothes anymore, so he folded them up neatly and left them behind, just like Mom would have said to do, right? Make your bed, amen? Jesus made his bed on Resurrection Sunday morning as evidence that he was alive. He saw the linen cloths, Peter did, by themselves, and he went home saying with me, marveling at what had happened. We, from the text and the other passages, even Peter is not maybe completely 100% on board yet. But something's cooking there. He got up and he ran to the tomb. Now he's marveling. He's going, wait a minute. The clothes were folded up and laying there. His body wasn't there. The stone was rolled aside, just like the women said. The stuff they told us, it seemed like a ridiculous story. There's some facts starting to add up and support the story. So he goes home marveling. We need to marvel with Peter. Part of the reason he was marveling and scratching his head, folks, think about it. Think, Go back to Friday for a little bit, okay? They saw Jesus die. And let's talk about the physical for just a second. He died from loss of blood, dehydration, shock from the pain and physical stress of the nails going through his wrists and his feet, Six hours, he fought for every breath on the cross. Watch that, and then see how hard it is to believe that that person, that body, that man has come back to life. You and I would marvel and scratch our heads a little bit too, amen? Marvel with Peter. Could Jesus be alive? And the angel's going, dude, Christ is risen. You can look in the tomb, but don't look there anymore because he's not there. He's alive. Marvel with the Apostle Paul now as he describes what God and Jesus did on that first resurrection day and following Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to sneak up on it a little bit here, but this powerful stuff. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Kind of in the middle, Paul here is praying over the believers in, in Ephesus, and he loves the stuff in out of them. Uh, they're so amazing. He appreciates them. So he's, he's praying for them. It's in the middle of his prayer. Verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He says, every time I think about you, I'm thanking God for you in prayer. Remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, say this with me, is so fun to say, the Father of glory. You want to say that again? The Father of glory. Oh, that just lifts my spirit. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What is he talking about? Those are big words, right? He's saying, God, I pray for the Christians in Ephesus that you would basically come expand their minds and their hearts' understanding of the knowledge of you, that they would come to know you by experience. Do we just need to feel good about Jesus on Easter Sunday morning? We need to be experiencing him every day. Our youth-led service was pointing to that every day. Revelation of the knowledge in him, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? You've got to say that with me. Immeasurable greatness of his power. You can't measure it. I don't care how big your brain is or how big your computer is. You can't measure the greatness of the power of God. And now listen to this. He says, immeasurable greatness of his power. And God directs his great power a certain direction. Whom does God direct it to? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Everybody say, wow. God's great power is directed toward you for your sake, for your help, for your need, for your salvation. Whatever your need is today, call on the name of Jesus, and God directs his immeasurable greatness to you. To me? Say that. To me? Towards you who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he works in Christ. When did God display his power? He's displayed it so many times. But when did he really blow the doors off, people? Easter Sunday morning, resurrection day, when he raised Jesus from the dead, dead, dead. If sin is what kills you and me, and it is, and Jesus had all the sin of all of humankind for all time in his body on the cross, he's the most dead man that's ever died. Hallelujah. So God had to use great and mighty power to raise that Jesus from the grave. And oh boy, did he. Now he did it with a purpose. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and say with me, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So you, you got to do this, people. Now, whenever you're reading in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, but it's sprinkled other places too. We're going to see it in a minute. But whenever you're reading in the Old Testament and it mentions something happening at the right hand of God, it's God giving a vision to Old Testament believers of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, at the Father's right hand in power and glory. Who's your right-hand man? What does he do for you? The king's right-hand man is the one who, who does the every command of the king. He has all the authority and the power of the king. When the king says, I say thus and such should happen, the right man goes, okay. And he goes and does it. Who's at the right hand of God Almighty, the Father on his throne? Jesus is at his right hand. And so Paul declares it right here. Paul's song in heaven. So he's declaring, he says, God's great power, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and then God the Father seated Jesus 
the risen one at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, just to, what does this mean? He's going to flesh it out here for us. Verse 21, to, for Jesus to be at the right hand of God the Father, this is what it means. Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Where is he in, in position to them? He's far above. Say it with me. He's far above. So when you're praying to God the Father in Jesus' name, where are your prayers reaching to? Far above. To the one who has authority and dominion and power over all things, all situations, all people. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. Throw out big ones. Go ahead. Jesus' name is bigger, better, far above every name that is named. And then God, Paul says, not only in this age, the biggest names you can think of now, but also in the one to come. Which age is to come? That would be eternity. In eternity, Jesus' name above all names for all eternity. Nobody, nobody's stepping up on that. Right? So God's great might raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand of God to rule from there forevermore. Say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Wait a minute. Have we seen and heard of God's right hand doing marvelous things before in the Bible? Yes, we have. Let me set the scene for you. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 14. The 10th plague has happened. Passover has been accomplished. Pharaoh finally says, get out of my sight. Take all your women, all your children, all your possessions, and get out of my sight and never come back. Of course, he changes his mind a little later, but in this moment, he finally gives permission. He says, get out of here. Get out of my face. So Israel, men, women, children, possessions, livestock, and more are moving through an improbable body of water. Walls of water on both sides. The word that's going to use here is congealed. It's like jello is the closest thing we can think of it. God makes the Red Sea waters into jello, pokeable, as you walk through on dry ground. Then the most powerful and most feared military force in the known world at that time came thundering after them. They're on foot. This force is Pharaoh and the chariots of Egypt. We're talking genocide and slaughter. And there's no way out. Certain death is on our heels. Exodus chapter 14, verse 24. In the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Who's fighting for you today? I know politicians use this all the time. I'm sick of it. I will fight for you. Vote for me. Elect me. I will fight for you. You know what? 
a little less fighting on that end, and a little more fighting from my God for me in ways that really matter. Sorry, lost my place. Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, see, they turned around and tried to get back, but they're actually fleeing into the waters. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had fallen into the sea. Say with me, not one of them remained. Folks, I know today we're still fighting the battles. I know the enemy is still taking punches and still landing on occasion, and sometimes painfully so. But folks, there is going to be a day when Christ comes in the clouds, and the enemy's day of landing punches is going to be done once and for all. And this is a preview of that. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and his sister Miriam created this song. Gives credit to her later on. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider that just a moment ago we feared so terribly, God has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. In this moment, many in Israel chose God as their Savior. When they saw literally the bodies of the horses and the charioteers wash up on the shore, they dropped to their knees and said, Yahweh is God, for real. And he is now my God, and the God of my salvation, and my God forever. The Lord is my strength and my song, verse 2. He's become my salvation. This, look at the personal grabbing a hold of faith. This is my God, and I will praise him. He's my father's God, the father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's their God too, but he's my God now. I choose him as my God. Children, middle-aged people, whatever, you can't let mom and dad, grandma and grandpa be the ones who, you can't ride their coattails to heaven. You've got to make the choice. You've got to say someday, he's my God. He's my Savior. He's mine forever. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, do it today. Mom and dad can't do it for you. Confirmation going, Pastor Joe, we hear this all the time in confirmation. Yes, you do. Because it's my chance. So you're on confirmation day. <laughs> <laughs> verse 3. Would you say this with me? Because this is really out there. We're not used to this verse. It's probably not in your refrigerator. Maybe it needs to be. Say with me, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Yahweh. I am. What kind of God is he? He is so many things. He's also a man of war. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. They're still singing the song. I wish we knew the tune. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Here it comes. Who, who's at the right hand of God? 
Jesus Christ, the risen one. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Did Jesus shatter an enemy on Resurrection Sunday? He shattered sin. He shattered death. The Bible says death is the devil's most fearsome weapon. What did Jesus do to it on Resurrection Sunday? He shattered it. And he shattered the yoke of the devil. And there's going to be a day when that moment finally obliterates him. Yeah. The right hand of the Lord shatters the enemy. Verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. God, that's what we're blessing you for this morning, Lord. In greatness of your majesty in raising Jesus from the dead. The sin I'm so worried about this morning, it died with Jesus on the cross, and he shattered its power when he came out of the tomb. The death that I may be concerned about, all different kinds of way to die, maybe COVID dying has really scared me spitless. And Jesus shattered it. Don't fear it. No matter how we pass from this life, it's last breath here and it's first breath with Jesus. He shattered death. We don't fear it anymore. Verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. Don't you love that? God sneezes and the Red Sea parts in them. It's not a sneeze, but you know what I'm saying. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. Here it is. The deeps congealed like jello in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You know what? Your enemies, they're knuckleheads. They think they got you. You got Jesus. They be wrong. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I love these next two verses. are just golden, people. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Let's have a lineup, shall we? Let's have Muhammad and Buddha and the hundreds and thousands in Hinduism and crystals, whatever. Let, let's line them up, all your choices. Or, you know, let's, let's line them up. There's people doing that now. They're going back to that stuff. Let's, let's, let's line them all up. Get them in a lineup, okay? Put Jesus in the middle at the right hand of God the Father and his throne. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? When you line them up, they don't even pale in comparison. There is no comparison. He says, who is like you? Would you say this with me? This is so sweet and wonderful, people. And, and this is the end here. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Why are we here this morning? Christ is risen! How's that for a wonder? How's that for a glorious deed? Hallelujah. You stretched out your what in verse 12? Your what? You stretched out your what? Right hand. You're swallowed up. 
We need to marvel, people. We don't marvel enough. I'm so thankful for Easter. Because we come together, we expect to marvel on Easter. Amen? If you, if you go to a church and they aren't marveling, then you need to never go there again. This is Marvel Day in the body of Christ. Amen. Marvel. Believe. I can't make you. I can't help you. The Holy Spirit's helping you. If you haven't believed before this morning, let today be the day. Marvel at his victory. Believe in Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. Receive his resurrection power to save you from your sins. To save you from the death that's eventually coming your way. Unless Jesus comes back and takes us out here before we go. Marvel and believe and let Jesus save your soul for now and for eternity. So you can marvel at him forever, what he's done for you, what he's done for me. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the best. God Almighty, Heavenly Father, you're, you're beyond awesome. We can't even measure how awesome you are. And what an awesome, glorious picture to know that Jesus accomplished everything on his to-do list at the cross and at the empty tomb. And then you said, come up here, son, and you set him at your right-hand side. You said, you are again and will always remain my right-hand man. Holy Spirit, come and help us to marvel at Jesus and the victory today. To marvel that whatever sins we brought in the door with us this morning... They died on the cross with Jesus. Whatever situations we brought in here this morning, that seemed beyond help, beyond hope. Resurrection power and the love of Jesus can minister to those things. Maybe I came in this morning and, and I can't even imagine me being saved by the Holy God. There's just no way. Yes, there is a way. Jesus is the way. So God, this morning we humbly we marvel at your love for us. We can't measure it, we can't figure it out. We marvel at your victory today, Jesus. We marvel at how much we need you and how glad you are to provide. So come near now, Lord Jesus, and this your meal, this is your supper, the Lord's supper. And you, you desire your children to come forward and eat of your body and drink of your blood and know in a physical, touchable, chewable, drinkable way how powerful is your love and your sacrifice for us. That love and sacrifice would not have any meaning or help to us unless you had the resurrection victory of this morning. And so we're so grateful and thankful and marvel at all you've done for us. Meet us now in this meal, Lord Jesus. And then send us on our way, full of the resurrection power of our Savior and our God. Bless you, Father. We thank you. Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen.